asking the right question can greatly impact your future. So are you working with a certified financial planner, a CFP professional? Certified financial planner certification is the standard of excellence in financial planning. That's why it's got to be a CFP. Find your CFP professional at letsmakeaplan.org. On front next, Nikki Haley gets personal going after Trump like we have not seen her do before. And for the first time saying VP is off the table. Will this Hail Mary work? Plus breaking news, the Fulton County DA who's investigating Trump now facing an inquiry herself. Mid allegations that her lead prosecutor used public funds to pay for lavish out-of-state trips for the two of them. And the real economy, a special series on what millennials are saying about the economy, juggling multiple jobs, still not making ends meet, regretting going to college at all. Let's go out front. And good evening, I'm Erin Burnett. Out front tonight, off the table, Nikki Haley, leaving no ambiguity over whether she will be Trump's vice president, saying today, and I quote her, I have said from the very beginning, I don't play for a second. I don't want to be anybody's vice president. That is off the table. Now, off the table, those words and that clarity on this particular issue is new. And in these final days before the win or die New Hampshire primary, Haley seems to be making it clear that there is no assuaging Trump while running any kind of a real race against him. He knows I know what his lies are. That is a lie. That is a lie. Haley today taking on Trump like we have never seen her do before. The question is whether it is too late. And tonight she's attacking Trump again. By the way, what you're looking at here is her speaking at her sixth campaign event of the day. Trump himself and Ron DeSantis also are in New Hampshire tonight. They're both about to speak as well. But the reality of it is this. Haley has the most to gain and the most to lose when New Hampshire voters hit the polls on Tuesday. A win would transform her campaign and this race. A loss could end the primary season and declare Trump the de facto nominee. Kylie Atwood is out front live outside a Nikki Haley event in Manchester, New Hampshire. Uh, And Kylie, you have been talking to voters there all day. And when we talk about the stakes, they are the ones who will make this decision. What are they telling you? Well, listen, Aaron, we focused in on conversations with female voters here today. They called Nikki Haley fresh and exciting, but bear in mind that we were at Haley events. So most of them were either already supporting her or considering very seriously supporting her. But they told us that they have groups of female friends who are also all voting for Trump. So it'll be really interesting to see how this group of the electorate, the female voting bloc, breaks for these different candidates on Tuesday night. Nikki Haley courting all New Hampshire voters, women included. Some saw it as an opportunity to take her by the hand and deliver a blunt message. Others, unexpectedly stumbling upon Haley's event, sat back and watched her work the room, feeling inspired to cast a ballot for the former South Carolina governor at the end of their tea, driven by a desire to move on from Trump did vote for Trump. I thought he was a fresh voice. I thought he was bringing something new in, into government. Um, but I also at now feel like he's much too divisive. Chittister isn't the only New Hampshire woman we spoke with who's planning to shift support from Trump to Haley. Yeah, I did vote for Trump. Trump has been ramping up his attacks on the woman he once chose to serve in his administration. He has used well-worn tactics, calling her nicknames, using her birth name, Nimarada, to criticize her on social media, 
and promoting the falsehood about Haley's eligibility to serve as president despite being born in the United States. He's also questioned her ability to lead the Republican Party. She's not going to make it. She has no chance. She's got no way. Megan's not going to be with her. And if she wins, Biden wins. New Hampshire women shrugged off those attacks, saying they're really nothing new for Trump. It's this primal instinct to lash out and choose lies and promote lies. If he were a cornered animal, he would, but instead he's using words, so whatever. <laughs> Those looking to Haley just want something new, explained Lindsay Moss, who came to see Haley with her mother and her two young children. I think it's good to bring some feminine power to our country and just a different mindset, because I don't think what we have going on is going so well right now. While Haley speaks about being a mother and a wife on the campaign trail, she's avoided making her female identity central to her pitch. May the best woman win. All kidding aside, this is not about identity politics. I don't believe in that. And I don't believe in glass ceilings either. And it's an approach that has gained her respect. She's been a legislator, a governor. She's been UN ambassador. She's an accountant. She's a mom. She's a daughter, right? She has friends, so she understands people in a different way. But so far, being the only woman in the Republican race has not translated to an outsized female support. In the Iowa caucuses, CNN entrance polls showed Haley lagging far behind Trump among women. Whether she can close the gap in New Hampshire may determine how much of a challenge she poses to Trump on Tuesday night. Now, Nikki Haley has said that she wants to do better here in New Hampshire than she did in Iowa, where she came in third place, more than 30 points behind former President Trump. And of course, she's going to be barnstorming the state over the course of the next few days, just four days from the primary here in New Hampshire, of course, trying to make that aspiration a reality. All right, Kylie, thank you very much. And Manchester. And I want to go now to Matthew Bartlett, Republican strategist also from New Hampshire, and Jennifer Horn, former chairwoman of the New Hampshire Republican Party. Bakari Sellers, Democratic, a former uh, South Carolina state representative uh, who served with Nikki Haley, is going to be joining us in just a moment as well. But Jennifer, let me start with you. Um, you know, obviously, Kylie making it very clear, she was speaking to women near, uh, you know, H Haley rally. So these were people who were considering voting for her or already were. So she was very clear to be transparent on that. Uh, as you look across the state, though, does Haley have a real opportunity to make inroads among women voters, to, to do something significant there in New Hampshire? Well, I think she's got a number of different opportunities, but up until now, she hasn't really shown um, she hasn't really shown the willingness or, the, you know, it just hasn't shown that she's able to take advantage of a lot of these opportunities. Um, you know, Republican voters tend not to go for the idea of let's vote for someone because they'll be the first woman, because they'll be the first African-American. It's just not as persuasive an issue for Republicans, especially, you know, the base of the party primary voters. Um, and to be honest with you, I think when you look at how, you know, I think that your reporter referenced, you know, the women in Iowa, when you look at how Republican women have voted consistently uh, when Donald Trump has been on the ballot, um, it is quite surprising, frankly, in face of the misogyny and and chauvinistic triggers that he brings to his language on, you know, constantly. It is surprising the degree to which Republican women continue yeah. to stay with Donald Trump. It certainly is. And Matthew, you know, you heard Kylie mention some of what Trump has said about Haley. You know, he calls her Nimarada, one of her birth names, uh, to, you know, make her look as if she is not American. And by the way, 
It's Nimarada Nikki. Nikki is also her name. Not that it would matter uh, if it weren't, but I just, uh, unfortunately, in these situations, one has to be clear about that sort of thing. Uh, so he's questioned whether she's even eligible to be president uh, based on uh, that her parents weren't U.S. citizens when she was born. Of course, she was born uh, in the United States. And then he said things like this for her about her on stage. Now they're pushing bird brain. You know who that is? Nikki Haley. She's not tough enough to deal with these people. I will tell you that. She's not tough enough. As someone who worked in the Trump administration, uh, you know, so you've got context on this, Matthew. Are you surprised by the language Trump is using to attack Haley, who served in his administration, that this is uh, obviously um, gendered, to say the least? Uh, no, it's not surprising. Um, this is the M.O. of the former president. It's silly. It's sophomoric. It's somewhat stupid. It might resonate with some in his base. Uh, but right now, Nikki Haley is inside right now with one of the biggest crowds she has. And this state is full of independent voters, including very strong independent women. Um, so Nikki Haley is making her case out there right now. As Kylie said, there are three nights left. I am unsure how much Donald Trump's attacks um, you know, will change people's minds right now. Yeah. Um, he, he has always been one to, uh, to kind of lay into people. But let's remember, she's a Tea Party darling from 2010 um, that did so well in South Carolina, a very conservative state, that he asked her to go serve an America First policy at the UN, which she did successfully. So, Bakari, you know, in this context of how well she had done in polls, you know, Manu Raju reported on Monday night that Tim Scott was in discussions with Trump as to whether he would uh, endorse Haley weeks from now, ahead of South Carolina to stop her there. And then the whole thing sped up because of the momentum that Trump perceived her to have in New Hampshire. Um, and so now Tim Scott, who Nikki Haley appointed as a senator from the state of South Carolina, of course, you know them both. Uh, you're deeply steeped in politics there. Scott coming out and doing this, what does it mean for her personally? Well, personally, I know she's livid. Um, and the fact is that she appointed Tim Scott to the position that um, he has right now. And so personally, I know that this does not rub her the right way. There, I look at this two ways. First, Tim Scott. Tim Scott's making a very strategic decision to be vice president of the United States. It's a shrewd decision. It's one that any politician probably in his position would make. Um, it, it kind of uh, eliminates some of your friends, which Nikki and he are friends for a greater goal in his mind. And I think he's just reading the tea leaves like most people are, that this is Donald Trump's race to lose. And let me just say, he'll be a formidable vice president um, if he is the nominee for that position. I, I disagree with Tim on every ounce of politics. I can't disagree with the person that he is. I tell people all the time uh, that I would never vote for Tim Scott, but if he needed a kidney, I'd give it to him. Uh, with Nikki, this highlights one of, his, one of her greater faults, to be completely honest with her with you. I mean, this just shows that the people who know Nikki best um, like her least. And this is a problem that she has. When people get to know her, it's the, it's the ability to stand for something. This is a very sharp blow. In South Carolina, this is the blow that will resonate loudest because this is something, Tim is not somebody to rock a boat. People may see the calculation to be vice president, but they'll also see this as an indictment of Nikki. Mm. And I, I, you know, listen, what I don't want to do is be on the other end of Nikki Haley's text messages tonight because she is having a fit. She's livid and she's going to say her mind to a bunch of her people in South Carolina about what Tim Scott did to her today. 
So, Jennifer, in this context, one of the most notable and longtime political analysts out there, Larry Sabato, tweeted something today that caught my attention. It's this. Isn't it amazing how quickly the air went out of the Nikki Haley for President balloon? High flying before Iowa, now preparing for a crash landing in New Hampshire, say all the pundits who saw a path to victory for her just a few days ago. Um, Look, you know, we're, we're looking at two things. We're looking at Matthew says, you know, the biggest crowd she's had yet. Uh, and also this Tim Scott blow happening and the conversations that Larry refers to are indeed happening. Pundits are pundits, though. Do you right. see this in, uh, it, it, this this is a deflating balloon or not? I, I'm afraid that I do. And with all due respect to Matthew's experience and his time in New Hampshire as well, um, I, I don't see Nikki Haley, as I you know, suggested earlier, she's not doing what she needs to do um, in order to defeat Donald Trump in New Hampshire. Uh, and, and you can look at the polls. You look at Marist when it came out today, the daily tracking from Suffolk. Um, she's simply too far behind at this point, in my opinion. She's doubled, down by double digits. Uh, last I looked at the average, I think she's still down by 14 or 15 points. And what she would need to do to overcome that would be to do something extraordinary and bold. And she continues to run a very cautious campaign. All right. So let me ask you about that, Matthew, because I don't know exactly what um, you're you're referring to when you say that, Jennifer, but I can think of some things. For example, chaos follows him about Trump instead of indirectly indicting him for that chaos. Right. Just examples like that. Matthew, uh, also on that list, uh, this flirtation with the VP. I don't want to ever be anyone's number two, but refusing to directly take it off the table and say, I will never do it until now. Do you think that it is enough that that is at this point, classifying as extraordinary or not? Uh, I mean, she is in a very hard position here in the Granite State. You're you're right, she's in number two. But more importantly, she's running against an incumbent president. So she needs to contrast with Donald Trump, but in a way that gets some of his voters towards him. So she needs to work, uh, you know, with a magnet as opposed to a spear. If laying into Donald Trump was going to get you the nomination, Chris Christie would have had this thing wrapped up a while ago. So she needs to maintain those independent voters and also attract some of the base uh, Republican voters, not just here in New Hampshire, but onto South Carolina and onto nationally if she if this is going to be a race. You know, Bakari, one thing that strikes me and this she's been consistent on every single time since the beginning is that she does better in polling in a general election than Trump. Right. It's been a way for her to say vote for her uh, on electability without slamming him. And yet, Bakari, in a state where that could make all the difference. Right. Independents could just come over and vote for her and put her over the top. It'd be very easy. The polls don't show it happening. We'll see what happens, right? We will see what happens, but it isn't clearly happening in advance of the vote. Does that surprise you? Republicans don't want to be president of the United States, and that's fine with me as a Democrat. Look, if I got somebody out there beating the incumbent president by 17 points, and I'm voting for somebody in a neck-and-neck race, (laughs) that is just silly to me. But I will take silly season, Aaron, because that is what we're in right now. Look, Democrats are just, we are just chomping our bit to get a hold of Donald Trump one more time and beat him one more time and put it into the MAGA movement. Because we know that uh, Joe Biden will tell the story about all the things that he's done for this country. We know that the economy's turning around, et cetera. But at the end of the day, it's gonna come down to the fact that Donald Trump is going to beat himself. And everybody watching knows that. And Nikki Haley is a fresh face. She would be a formidable foe for the president of the United States. But Republican voters don't want Nikki Haley. They want the same old, same one. They want the xenophobia, the chaos, the bigotry. They want the the indictments. They want everything that comes with Donald Trump. 
I, I said this before, Aaron, and it, and it bears repeating. You, you always want to watch the circus. You never want to be a part of the circus or join it. Republicans are joining the circus willingly. Let them have it. All right. Well, we'll see what will happen uh, in these next few days. Thank you all three very much. I appreciate it. Matthew, you for standing out in the cold. <laughs> Thank you. And we are just four days away from voters in New Hampshire going to those polls. Special live coverage of the primary starts Tuesday at 4 o'clock Eastern right here on CNN. And next, the breaking news of Fulton County DA investigating Trump now facing her own inquiry as we learn new details about an alleged affair with her lead prosecutor in the Trump case. The two are now accused of taking trips on taxpayers' dime. Plus, NATO saying it's now bracing for war with Russia. So we take you to the front lines to see how Putin's nonstop attacks are now eating away at Ukrainian defenses. And actor Alec Baldwin, late today, indicted, this time charged with two counts of involuntary manslaughter. Could this mean he could be headed to jail? Asking the right question can greatly impact your future especially when it comes to your finances. So are you working with a certified financial planner, a CFP professional who meets rigorous education, training, and ethical standards and is committed to serving your best interests to prepare you for a more secure future? Certified financial planner certification is the standard of excellence in financial planning. That's why it's got to be a CFP. Find your CFP professional at letsmakeaplan.org. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, CNN's chief medical correspondent. This week on Chasing Life... I'm a health reporter and have been for 15 years. And even I feel overwhelmed by some of the things I read about the stuff we're eating. My colleague Meg Terrell wanted to take a deep dive into something you've probably heard a lot about recently. Ultra-processed foods. There is a lot to learn there, some fascinating stuff. And some of it is probably going to change the way you shop. Listen to Chasing Life wherever you get your podcasts. Breaking news that could spell serious trouble for Fulton County District Attorney Fonnie Willis. A county commissioner, as of tonight, has launched an inquiry into allegations that Willis misused county funds, taxpayer money, and accepted gifts and other personal benefits from Nathan Wade. Nathan Wade is the lead prosecutor that Willis hired for the case and is allegedly having an affair with. This is the same prosecutor accused of billing Willis and the county, and therefore taxpayers, for hundreds of thousands of dollars of work on the case, uh, with hours worked that uh, right now we still need a lot of explanations for. Money that then was allegedly then used to pay for vacations that Wade and Willis took together. Now, this inquiry is being launched just hours after credit card statements revealed that Wade paid for at least two out-of-state trips with Willis. Jessica Schneider begins our coverage out front. There is now a full-on battle between Fulton County District Attorney Fawny Willis and the wife of Willis's top prosecutor in the Georgia election case against Trump. The back and forth in the divorce proceedings is threatening to shake up the case. The black man I chose has been a judge more than 10 years. Fawny Willis is facing allegations she had an affair with Nathan Wade, something she has not addressed. Instead, she has defended naming him as special prosecutor in November 2021, one day after he filed for divorce from his wife. Is it that some will never see a black man as qualified, no matter his achievements? 
Now there is a swirl of tension to try to get to the bottom of this alleged affair. New court filings from Wade's wife show Nathan Wade bought tickets for Willis to accompany him on at least two out-of-state trips. Copies of credit card statements show Wade purchased airline tickets for himself and Willis, including for trips to Miami in October 2022 and San Francisco in April 2023. Jocelyn Wade saying in the filing that her attorneys want to depose Willis in the divorce proceedings to determine details surrounding her her romantic affair with Nathan Wade, as there appears to be no reasonable explanation for their travels apart from a romantic relationship. Willis is trying to stop the questioning, saying it's being used to harass and damage her professional reputation and is obstructing and interfering with an ongoing criminal prosecution. This exploded in the public eye earlier this month when one of the defendants in the Georgia election subversion case, Mike Roman, a former Trump campaign official, moved to disqualify Willis, alleging she had an improper relationship with Wade. Roman alleges Wade was paid more than others in Willis's office and used money he billed for his work, so far adding up to more than $650,000, to take Willis on romantic and lavish vacations. Roman has not provided any public proof for the accusations, but Trump Trump's lawyer says this is another reason the case should be tossed. This case is tainted from the start. Never mind all the other things that we're seeing come out that show absolute corruption. It's all planned. It's election interference. The judge overseeing the Georgia election case has now set a February 15th hearing to consider whether Willis and Wade should be disqualified from the case. Willis has defended her prosecution team and said they have all been paid the same. I appointed three special counselors is my right to do, paid them all the same hourly rate. They only attacked one. And the fallout from all of this is escalating tonight. That Fulton County Commissioner sending that letter to Fonnie Willis, Aaron, saying he is launching that inquiry into those allegations that she misused county funds. He says there's all this question about whether the money that her office paid Nathan Wade was then used for Willis's own gain, mentioning those trips that the two allegedly took together. And the commissioner right now is demanding that Willis hand over various contracts invoices and payments. You know, Aaron, our team has reached out to Fonnie Willis for a comment, but we haven't heard back. back All right, you. Jessica, thank you very much. Ryan Goodman is with me now, out front legal expert. So um, look, there's been a drip, drip, drip on this, but now you've got an inquiry from the county commissioner uh, into this alleged affair. Again, it, it, the, 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 the affair, fine, whether that happened or not. Um, it is also that there would be taxpayer money that was used uh, to employ him, uh, whether he was the, you know, the right person for it, how much uh, money was paid, then the money being used uh, with her and him together, possibly with these vacations. So as I investigate what happened here, what does all of it mean for Fonnie Willis? So I think it could mean one of two things. Now we've got two proceedings. Uh, so the first proceeding is in the case itself with the judge overseeing the criminal case. And he could decide to require her to recuse herself to step down from the case. That's the big kind of penalty that might be there. Mm -hmm. And then the commissioner is a separate matter. It's the one that I think is actually where it's more likely to something for something to happen, which is that if they look at her just in terms of how she's running her office separate from the case, those are the kinds of ethical and legal rules that she has to answer to separately. Right, has to answer why she picked him, qualify, all those questions would go. Absolutely. All right, but um, now let's just say um, she's something happens and she is penalized or forced to be removed. That means what does the happens to the case? I think the case goes forward. It doesn't necessarily mean the case is taken off of the docket. It doesn't go away. Yet. No, there's a very strong criminal case that she has, she herself has built. Yep. Against Donald Trump and the others. 
But if she is taken off of it, it's a huge delay in all likelihood. I do not think we see a trial in 2024, for example, if they have to find a replacement. She already had to be replaced for one of the um, false electors, alleged false electors, and the, they still haven't found a replacement. That's now months. Uh, so I think that mm. we would be looking at a 2025 trial and then see what happens with the election as to whether or not that exists. Right. So that would really change the timing here because then this whole question of immunity and, uh, you know, I mean, obviously, you know, state versus federal. But I mean, it would re raise real questions about whether it went forward at all if he wins. Yeah, I think that if he wins, the case at a minimum, I guess, would be frozen for four years at a minimum. Wow. All right. So, um in that context, uh, we got some video today of a deposition of Donald Trump. And this is a deposition in that fraud case in New York, the, the Trump org fraud case, so Judge Engron overseeing. One key exchange is Trump claiming that he was not focused on the company when, after he was president. Like, I had nothing to do with it, hands in the air. I was just too busy saving lives. Here's the exchange from the deposition. There were a lot of things that were happening in the world, as you probably know, and I did a good job. I got rid of those problems. Today, those problems are very prevalent. Um, so you were too busy for the company? In a way, yeah. The yeah, I think you could say it. It's another way of saying it. I was very busy. I was, I considered this the most important job in the world, saving millions of lives. I think you would have had nuclear holocaust if I didn't deal with North Korea. I think you would have had a nuclear war if I weren't elected. <coughs> and I think you might have a nuclear war now, if you want to know the truth. Uh, OK, so um, a political in a deposition. But um, look, the reality of it is, is on the issue of fraud, that's already been determined by a judge uh, in the way this trial was handled, was was approved by both uh, the Trump and uh, the prosecution. Um, but does this help him at all, this, this defense, when it comes to how this plays out, that he says he had nothing to do with uh, Trump org, whether that's true or not being a separate issue? So it could potentially help him in a certain sense because there are still some remaining additional charges, and those charges do depend upon his knowledge, his state of mind. So if he's actually correct that at, for that period of time he was not focused on the company, it could help him, but it also can hurt him if he's not being forthcoming and candid. So with the fact finder here is a smart judge, and then the smart judge looks at that deposition and might think to himself, that is not accurate. You were focused on many other things about yourself and your companies and your golf courses during that period. So the fact that you give a false statement and a false excuse, that would maybe hurt him. All right, Ryan, thank you very much. And next, a special report from Ukraine. We're going to take you to the front lines, the ground. Uh, I found an area uh, littered with dead Russians, uh, the reality of what is playing out right now there as Ukrainian soldiers are still fighting for their survival. Plus our special series, The Real Economy, why it's forcing millennials to juggle multiple jobs, think twice about having kids and question if college was even worth it. I had a communications degree and I definitely did not need that to be successful. Tonight, NATO bracing for all-out war with Russia. In fact, a top NATO official has issued this chilling warning. I'm not saying it is going wrong tomorrow, but we have to realize it's not a given that we are in peace. And that's why we have the plans. That's why we are preparing for a conflict with, uh, uh, with Russia and the terror groups, if it comes to it, if they attack us. Well, that message comes as Ukraine's front lines remain under constant Russian assault. This new video into CNN shows what appears to be a Russian missile destroying a building near Advgika. It's been the epicenter of fierce fighting and the destruction you can see here. Of course, so many uh, uh, people likening it to Bakhmut. It is devastated. 
Fred Plaikin is out front, and I will warn you that some of the images you will see in his report tonight are disturbing. It's a sight Ukrainian troops in Avdivka see all too often, a massive Russian armored assault force coming right at them. The Russian infantry moves with virtually no cover. The Ukrainians call these meat assaults because the Russian troops have virtually no chance of survival as Ukrainian drones hunt them down. They assault with a large number of personnel, the head of the drone unit that filmed the videos tells me. Assault after assault, non-stop. If we kill 40 to 70 of them with drones in a day, the next day they renew their forces and continue to attack. It's been going on for several months as Russian President Vladimir Putin seems hell-bent on taking Avdivka. Russian vehicles under artillery fire as they get close to Ukrainian positions. The ground littered with dead and dying Russian soldiers trying to overwhelm the Ukrainian defenses here. The Ukrainians say they're holding back most of the assaults but are outgunned and outmanned. We need more people, more military, more equipment. We need more ammunition, more drones, he says. Unfortunately, we don't have the amount needed to win. We need a lot. And the Russians not facing the same shortages are dropping massive amounts of ordnance on the Ukrainians. Everything from artillery to heavy guided aerial bombs. One of the key defense points, a massive coke plant at the edge of town. And that's where these guys are setting up their defenses. Under constant fire, elite snipers from Ukraine's Omega Special Forces. Here, they have the cover to hit advancing Russian soldiers. Their anger visible in the hoodies they wear for our interview. With the weapons we have, at distances up to 1,300 meters, the effectiveness of our work is 90%, he says. For that kind of precision, they need to keep their weapons in pristine condition all the time, they say. At the beginning, it seemed the Russians could encircle Avdivka very quickly, he says. But as we see, Avdika has been ours for three months and we're holding on. Holding Avdivka for now, even as assault after assault eats away at Ukrainian defenses. Fred, that was incredible footage um, and sobering, you know, watching humans die. Um, the, the reality of it is, though, mm. is that obviously the U.S. aid that's been so crucial here, in, even in the form of weaponry itself, right, uh, now on, on hold. And they've been talking about needing more and more, as you report. So from what you've seen, the ammunition shortage that the Ukrainians say they mm. have, that they, uh, that, they, that they seriously lack ammunition, how serious is it right now? I think it's absolutely serious and certainly something that we've heard from those units there. And I want to give you an example, Aaron, that drone unit, the commander of that unit, he told us that he believes that his small drone unit alone has destroyed between 40 and 50 Russian tanks and armored vehicles and killed anywhere between 1,000 and 1,500 Russian soldiers. And yet they keep assaulting. And he says that even those grenades that they drop from their drones, those are already in short supplies. He says the biggest issue right now for them, though, in the defense of Avdika is the lack of 155 millimeter artillery shells. And that's something that's becoming an increasing problem as more and more Russians assault and the Ukrainians are having trouble holding the line. Aaron. All right, Fred, thank you very much. And next, our special series, The Real Economy. Millennials speaking out, saying they now regret going to college because the debt isn't worth it and they can't afford to have more kids. I'm sad. Like, our, our family is dictated by our financials. 
Plus, actor Alec Baldwin indicted again, charged with involuntary manslaughter for the deadly shooting on the set of his movie, Rust. This time, could he go to jail? The Assignment with me, Audie Cornish. Celebrities of all kinds are speaking publicly about their therapeutic trips, so to speak. It turns out there is a burgeoning industry ready to serve the new influx of people who find themselves turning away from traditional mental health therapy. The gap between what we know and what we don't about psychedelic therapy. Listen to The Assignment with me, Audie Cornish, on your favorite podcast app. Tonight, millennials saying no to college, telling our Allison Camerata that the debt isn't worth it. And even with their degrees, they can't afford to have a second child, buy a home, go out to dinner when they want. They're juggling multiple jobs that have nothing to do with their degrees. The depressing sentiment coming even as the S&P 500 hit an all-time closing high today. So Allison Camerata went out front with a special series to find out what the real economy is. I see $400 going towards my student loans and I see 545 going for HOA, and I see groceries uh, averaging about 150 a week. Sure, maybe for my wife's uh, you know, retirement portfolio, it might be looking great, but we need to get there first, right? On Saturday, we heard how MetLife Stadium is preparing for the World Cup final. Danny Navarro did not plan to be a TikTok creator. If FIFA decided to sell tickets for the 2026... That was not his goal when he graduated with a history degree on a scholarship from the University of Virginia and started working at a nonprofit. I was at the $60,000 mark of my salary, and the only way that I was going to crack 80, 90 potentially was to get a grad school degree. So Danny went back to school for a master's degree in public administration. I had to take out $70,000 in loans. And so it's almost like we just were, we're, we're basically thrown into the hole and right, right away we have to start climbing out of it. So you're first generation. And what was the dream for you? What was the dream if you went to college? We would escape poverty. And, you know, for, for, for immigrants that are coming to this country, that's always the the thing that they tell you. Danny now juggles three jobs, soccer coach, tutor, and TikTok video creator. I don't have a full-time salary job since uh, November of 2022. And it's not without trying. I've tried to, I've, I've actually applied to about a hundred jobs. A hundred jobs. I would say about uh, in the past year and, and change. And a couple of them have gone into the final round, but just unfortunately not been selected. You wanna look outside? Come here. My life is very different than what I envisioned it would be. Crazy. Rachel Gambino and Garrett Mazio followed the roadmap that previous generations said would spell success. Go to college, get married, work hard, buy a house, start a family. This is the American dream, but it, at what cost? So we have all of those things and we appreciate every single one of those things, but we think about how we could lose those things very quickly. if. One of us loses our job, um, we're, we're in a not good place. Between their college debt and monthly mortgage payment, they feel they've slipped into a lower economic class than the one they grew up in. Do you describe yourself as middle class? I like to think we are. I, I uh, would say lower middle class. Why? Because when I think of middle class, I think about people who are able to just get up and go and do things within their means and like not extravagant things, but be able to get up and go to dinner whenever they want or maybe take that trip, that long weekend trip. We don't have that luxury. 
Rachel works at a nonprofit, Garrett as an insurance underwriter, but their paychecks barely keep pace with their $3,400 monthly mortgage payment. Rachel's 26-year-old sister, Kristen, moved in to help offset costs for all of them. So all of this is affecting your family planning. You know, once we started getting daycare costs, it was like, we, we cannot afford to have another child until he's in a public school system. I'd love for him to have like a partner in crime, but we can't afford to give him that for at least four years. And is that sad? Yeah, I'm sad. Like our, our family is dictated by our financials. And yeah, I just never thought it would be that, that way. Rach, we have $435 to last until the end of the month. What? Actually, till February 4th. That's even worse. I know. So what would they do differently if they could do it all over again? Avoid student debt, even if that means rethinking college. I think this idea of going to college is something that I don't know if Miles will do, and we have decided we're not going to push him there either. I think a lot of millennials were forced into saying like, you need a four year degree in order to be successful. And it's like, I have a communications degree and I definitely did not need that to be successful. Um, and so I think like it starts with when you turn 18, you're already put into a disadvantage. And I think we need to like change that mindset for the next generation. Did I go to college to go do TikTok videos? No. But is that the one place right now where I can make you know, money potentially. So let me go make my TikTok videos while I'm at it and hopefully find a new way to live the American dream. I mean, it's just, you just want to hear more and more of them. And it's amazing that they are willing, you know, you, you got them to be able to be willing to speak, which is so hard when you're talking about money, right? Um, and their lives. So they're being told um, by a lot of them. I mean, you can look at the numbers any way you want, but uh, you know, Bidenomics, things are getting better. Uh, the economy, things are getting better. Inflation is abating. How do they respond to all those messages when that's their lived experience? Well, that's the reason they let us in to their homes. We asked them specifically, why are you opening your spreadsheets to us? Why are you letting us see something that is clearly causing you so much anxiety and pain? And they said, because we want the politicians to understand what our lives are really like. And they weren't just talking about President Biden. They want their local politicians to understand the challenges that they're facing. And I asked them specifically, who do you blame? for the situation that you find yourself in. And they all gave very nuanced answers. In other words, none of them had a, a knee-jerk. Right. No you know, one had a political No bone. one had a political answer to that. They understand that the economy is complicated and their situation is complicated. Yeah, well, I mean, it's really uh, incredible and I'm really, you know, kind of, who can't be inspired by their willingness to share that. All right, Allison, thank you very much. Allison's uh, Real Economy series, of course, is going to continue. And next, actor Alec Baldwin charged again for the deadly shooting on the set of his film, Rust, could he actually go to jail this time? Plus, we've got some incredible images tonight of flames coming out of a jet. This is just after it took out off from Miami. And of course, uh, the NTSB is now investigating. Tonight, Alec Baldwin charged again. The actor indicted today by a grand jury with two counts of involuntary manslaughter for the deadly shooting while filming the movie Rust. Cinematographer Halna Hutchins was killed when the prop gun that Baldwin was holding fired a live round while rehearsing. 
Baldwin previously had faced the same charges, but prosecutors dropped them after learning new information that needed to be investigated. So that happened. And now, nine months later, the charges are back. Criminal defense attorney Mark Amara is out front. And Mark, uh, let's just try to understand exactly what happened here. So this latest indictment against Baldwin, right? They had dropped charges, went away, nine months here, we're back, and the, the, the charges are here. Um, have you you gone through this? I mean, are these is this a stronger yes. indictment than the prior one? Well, it's the same charges, but I think the resolve of the prosecution team is stronger because they took it to a grand jury. Prosecution teams do not like charging, dropping, indicting, and dropping. So I think that they believe they have a stronger case. We know there were some investigations done on the gun, which is the primary issue here. Did he pull that trigger or maybe did he act? recklessly or without good care, and that's what they got the indictment for. So the involuntary manslaughter uh, is a charge. It's a fourth-degree felony in New Mexico. It could carry an 18-month prison sentence uh, if convicted. How real is the possibility that Baldwin could see that? He could actually have jail time. In one sense, it's quite real because he's under indictment right now, and again, we believe the state's case is even stronger. On the other hand, Aaron, as you know, plea negotiations were happening in this case before this most recent indictment. They happen in all cases, and probably that's going to be ongoing now that the indictment is standing. The main condition of which, if I was the attorney, was not to become a convicted felon and not to go to prison. So it's on the table, but I think they'll be trying to work something out. And and what do you think to to get to have prison taken off the table, the possible 18-month sentence that it could carry? what, what, What could they do in exchange for that? They might well want the felony conviction. That's important for the family. That's important to your prosecution team. Of course, it would be important to Mr. Baldwin. Uh, that and then the condition of five years probation or a lengthy period of probation just to keep his nose clean. That's normally what prosecutors want if they're taking prison off the table. All right, Mark, thank you very much. I appreciate it. And next, the terrifying images of a jet on fire shortly after takeoff from Miami. Tonight, a fire in the sky, the NTSB investigating the frightening incident you're looking at on your screen. I mean, a plane flying there suffering an engine malfunction started a fire. This video was captured by an eyewitness on the ground. There are spurts of fire bursting out of the plane. The witness telling CNN, quote, it was very frightening. It wasn't ascending. And listen to this call to air traffic control from the cockpit of this cargo plane as the incident unfolded. Mayday, Mayday, uh, Giant 095 Heavy, uh engine fire, request Texas back to the airport. We have five souls on board, and we have uh, about uh, five hours of of, uh, fuel on board. Amazing, right? Just the calm with which that pilot conveyed uh, the situation. The plane had been in the air for 14 minutes total. The incident started three minutes into the flight, so 11 minutes of that harrowing situation, according to FlightAware. Now, by the way, we should notice, uh, when, when he said they have five hours of fuel, Right, turning around and landing with so much fuel can be um, can be disastrous. Uh, and yet, with all that calm, they did it. They followed procedures. They were able to land safely back in Miami. Just an, an incredible thing and a testament to the professionalism there. Thanks so much for joining us. AC360 starts now. Asking the right question can greatly impact your future, especially when it comes to your finances. So are you working with a certified financial planner? A CFP professional who meets rigorous education, training, and ethical standards and is committed to serving your best interests to prepare you for a more secure future? Certified Financial Planner Certification is the standard of excellence in financial planning. That's why it's got to be a CFP. 
Find your CFP professional at letsmakeaplan.org. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, host of the Chasing Life podcast. In honor of our 10th season, we want to hear from you. Leave us a message at 470-396-0832 and tell us how you chase life. It could be used on an upcoming episode.